0: Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this day. And we thank you um, because it's the day that you have made. And so we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. We think that we can be together here in this place. God, after so long not being able to join together, we uh, just once again want to say thank you and how sweet it is to actually be in the presence of our brothers and sisters. And we thank you for those who are able to join us online as well. We pray, God, now as we turn to your word, that you would quiet our hearts before you, that you would um, reveal to us what it is that you would have us learn as we study your word today. We love you, God, but we want to love you more. And so we pray that this would uh, not just be a a study of filling our heads or an act of filling our heads with more knowledge, but that this would be an act of devotion, in encounter with the living God. Be with us, we ask. Speak through me, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. We're continuing in Mark, chakra, we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, we're calling this series, Let's Go. Here's what it says. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, that's Jesus. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it, had, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I want to start off this morning by telling you a story. It's a story about a single mother and her three children. Her three little children, that is. uh, And they happen to be pigs. So I want to tell you the story about three little pigs. I can hear the groans. Someone's like, "Is is this dude serious? And this morning, as I was preparing to preach my sermon, I was like, am I really going to open with the three little pigs? And here we are in the moment, and I am. So it is. This brother is really going with it. So here we go. Three little pigs, when they were old enough, Their mother sent them out in the world to seek their fortune. That's how the story goes. Sent them out to seek their fortune. So they went out, three of them. The first little pig, he was a lazy little pig. He just wanted to play video games and watch TikTok. And so he built his house out of straw. Second little pig was also kind of lazy, maybe not quite as lazy as the first one, but pretty lazy, uh, built his house out of sticks. Now, it was in Cupertino, so it was worth $1.6 million. But nonetheless, it was a house made out of sticks. The third little pig was not like his brothers. He was diligent. He had vision. He was disciplined. And he was a hard worker. And he spent months and months constructing a house out of brick while his brothers just played all day long. And you know how the story goes. A wolf showed up and the wolf was hungry for bacon. And he smelled the pig inside the straw house and he said, little pig, little pig, let me in. And the little pig said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And the wolf said, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And that's what he did. And in my version, the one we're going with this morning, that little pig barely escaped. And he made it to his brother's stick house. And the wolf made it to the stick house as well. And he said, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. And they said, not by the hair of our chinny-chin chins. And he says, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And that's exactly what he did. And those two little pigs barely escaped to their brother's uh, you know, mid-century modern brick colonial. And the, the wolf showed up at the, at the brick house. And he, he yelled from the outside, Uh, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. And the three pigs on the inside said, not by the hair of our chinny-chin-chins. And he said, well, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your your house down. But as much as he huffed and as much as he puffed and as much as he blew, he could not blow the house down because it was made out of bricks. And those three little pigs were saved. I didn't come up with that myself. Uh, If you do some research... On the story of the three little pigs, as I did this week, you'll find some very interesting things about it. One of those things is that uh, no one is really sure where it came from, no one is really sure who wrote it or who made it up, but it is one of the most well known and most beloved stories in all of Western culture. Like many stories in its class, fables, one of the reasons it's become so beloved is because it is a story with a moral, it's a story that teaches a lesson. And the lesson of the story of the Three Little Pigs, the moral of the Three Little Pigs is what? Be like the third pig. Don't be lazy. Don't waste your time. Don't take the easy way out. Be diligent and work hard, and if you do, you can achieve for yourself affluence, security, comfort, and a good life. Part of why The Three Little Pigs is so popular in Western culture because it arguably explains the archetypal moral of Western civilization, which is what? You can be anything you want to be if you just work hard enough at it. And we see this all over All around us, especially in an area like the Bay, right? Everywhere we go, the message is being told to us. If you work hard enough, if you apply yourself, if you are diligent and disciplined, if you will just be like the little pig, you can achieve anything you want. Uh, You can be what you want. You can achieve what you want. My personal favorite is you can manifest your own destiny. There are books, there are podcasts, you name it. There are motivational speakers. About 20 years ago, a motivational speaker named uh, Dyer, his first name escapes me, William Dyer, something like that. He wrote a book called Manifest Your Destiny, The Nine Spiritual Principles for Getting Everything You Want. And I'm like, that's what I should have titled this sermon series. I mean, that, that hits home. It's why when you go to the off-site meeting for work, it is never Gary from accounting who is the speaker. It's, it's the saleswoman who last year sold more than the rest of the sales team combined. Because the message is if you'll just if you'll be like her, then you too might be able to achieve the success that she has achieved. Be like the third little pig. And the challenge for those of us in the church, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, is it is very easy for us to import that thinking, import that, that cultural moral that is so prevalent in the world that we live in, into our faith. It is so easy to look at Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and think that he is teaching along the same lines as the three little pigs. Here is your example. If you will just be like this example, if you will find it in yourself to do good and to do right, If you will just be like the picture I show you, then you too can have the good life of joy and peace and prosperity that I promise. And I think, maybe not consciously, but I think subconsciously, the text we are looking at today is a text where it is very easy for us to do just that. We are looking at the parable of the sower. It is a very well-known parable. I can still see the painting of the sower in the church that I grew up in, sowing the seed and the weeds and the the dirt path and the sunshine. It's a very well-known passage. But I think it's very easy when we come to this to look at this passage through a Three Little Pigs lens. And here's what I mean by that. In the story of the Three Little Pigs, there's two bad examples and there's one good example. And so the takeaway is what? Be like the good example. In the parable of the sower, we just add one more example. There's three bad examples, and there's one good example. So what is the moral? What is the lesson of the parable of the sower? I think it's easy for us to think. Be the good soil. In fact, I think if you took a survey of the probably millions of sermons that have been preached on this message over the last 2,000, on this passage over the last 2,000 years, my guess is a lot of them would end up at that place. We need to figure out how to be the good soil. Make sure we are the good soil. And to be honest, earlier this week, as I started to prepare for this message and I sat with this text for a little bit, that's where I thought I was going to end up. That's where I thought we were going to end up. I read this passage and I thought, I think this sermon is going to end up somewhere in like, we got to figure out how to be the, the ones who bear fruit. We've got, to, we've got to be the good soil. Are we bearing fruit? How do we figure out how to bear fruit? But that is not what the message of the gospel is. That is not what the message that Jesus Christ teaches through the, the record we have of him in scripture. Jesus does not teach a three little pigs Christianity. Apply yourself to Be good, be better, and maybe you will make something of your life. And so, as I have sat with this text for this week in preparation for this message, I believe that the takeaway is actually the total opposite. There is a reason that in most English Bibles, this is called the parable of the sower. It is not called the parable of the soil. Because it is not about the soil, it's about the sower, And so I just, the first thing I want us to see as we look at the parable of the sower is this. Following Jesus is not about what we can do. Following Jesus is not about what we can do. So, if you were with us last week, we talked about the cost of discipleship. And I think Jesus, as as Mark records this story in Mark chapter four, Jesus is still in discipleship mode. So he gets out into a boat, he goes out into the Sea of Galilee because there's a big crowd on the shore. The commentators are amazing. Uh, One of them was like, we know exactly where he was because the way the hills, the angle of the hills come out of the Sea of Galilee. It's been proven that someone standing in a boat, the acoustics can reach a thousand or more people who are on the shore, who knows if we know where it really was. But he's in a boat, he's on the Sea of Galilee, and he's speaking to a big crowd, and he tells this story about a sower, a farmer, who went out to his field and started spreading seed, and then he talks about what happened as that seed grew up. And here's the question I want to ask as we look at this first point where we're talking about following Jesus is not about what we can do. If we take off verses 10 through 20, if we just look at the first nine verses, what is the takeaway? See, some people got the explanation, which we have the benefit of having in the second half of the passage, but the majority of the crowd that was there that day didn't get the explanation. They just got the parable that Jesus told, and later his disciples are like, what was that all about? If if we had just been part of that first crowd, not the insiders in the second part, what would the takeaway have been from this parable? It's a There is a call to action in it, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. It's a little bit muddled in English. It's a lot clearer in Greek, which it was originally written in. But look at it with me. Jesus starts in verse 3, and what is the very first thing he says? Listen. Listen. And then he tells the story of the the, the seeds and the sower, and he gets down to verse 9, and what does he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, so it's not super clear in English, but in Greek, the first word and the last word are exactly the same. It's been translated listen and hear in the ESV, but it's the same word in Greek. So Jesus starts the parable by saying, listen, and he finishes it by saying, listen. So what is the call to action? What is the takeaway if you were just there for the first part? Listen, yes, thank you, someone got it. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus doesn't finish that parable and say, so be like the good soil. So figure out how to produce a a bountiful harvest in your life. Be like the good little pig. That's not what Jesus finishes with. He simply says, listen. And remember, we're coming off of the cost of discipleship, what discipleship is all about. And so Jesus, in the first nine verses, here's what he's saying. Again, it's a little convoluted, but I believe this is the call. He's saying, the first thing about discipleship, the first thing about following me is not doing anything. Just listen. Listen. Just listen to what I say. Just hear my words. Before you do anything, listen. Because following me is not about what you can do. Uh, We have a number of children. And for any of you who have children or work with children or know children or been around children, you will know that this is a challenge for them. Listening. I, I'm not going to single any one of my children out because they all do it at some point or another, but it is amazing how often something like this happens. They are running around like 1,000 miles a minute. And, and my wife, Beth, or I has something that we need to instruct them in, something we need to tell them, something we need them to do. And as you begin, as we begin to tell them, here's what I need you to do. You need to go to your, and you haven't even gotten that far, and they're nodding their head, and they're turning to go already. And They disappear. And then like four minutes later, they show up, and they're like, what was it that you needed me to do? And you're like, you needed to listen before you did anything. And I don't want to get you know, too close to home here, but that's kind of what we do with God. We're like, okay, God, yep, yep, what, okay, yep. And then we go and we start doing. But we didn't stop to actually listen. And remember what Jesus called his disciples to last week. Chapter 3, verse 14. It says Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they what? That they might be with him. We said that the first aspect of discipleship is simply to be with Jesus. Now here's the thing. I think the first part of the parable of the sower is building on that. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I just need you to listen to me. I just need you to hear me. And so here's the deal: Jesus didn't call his disciples to be with him in chapter three, so they could just sit in silent awkwardness with each other. He calls his disciples to be with him because he's got something to say. Because he's got words for them. Because he's got instruction for them. And he's saying the first thing you need to do is simply be with me and listen to me. You ever, been, you, know, you ever go to coffee with someone and it's like, ask about your family, ask about my family. Good, ask about work, ask about my work. And then it's like, well, what else are we going to talk about? How about this virus? Like, oh, okay. Just me. That's not how it works with Jesus. He calls us to be with him because he is, he is speaking. He has things to say that we need to hear and that we need to listen to. He's not calling us to do anything. He is simply calling us to listen. And so if you're here today and you're like, I just don't feel like God speaks. I don't feel like I can hear him speaking. Or you're like, I've been waiting on a word from God for a long time. And I just, he, i just He's silent. Here's the deal. There are definitely season, seasons where God is quiet. There are definitely seasons where He is silent. But if that is you, my first question this morning is going to be How is your secret life? And what I mean by that is, How are the moments every day or close to every day where you put your phone away from you on purpose? Like that in and of itself is a radically countercultural move. I know we lose them and then we freak out in the same way like if we'd left a child behind, where's my phone, where's my phone, where's my phone? How are the moments each day where you put your phone in another room and turn off the TV and turn off the music and take the AirPods out of your ears and open up God's word and read it and sit in the quiet and listen? Because here's the deal, God speaks through nature. God speaks through creation, He speaks through friends and family. He speaks through sermons and podcasts and pastors. I believe God even speaks directly to people sometimes through dreams, but did you catch what I said? Sometimes, sometimes God speaks through those things. He always speaks through his word, always. And following him is not primarily about anything we can do. It is simply about listening. Hear what I have to say. Listen to my words. Listen. If you have ears to hear, hear. Because following Jesus is not about what we can do. The second thing I want us to see is that following Jesus is about what he can do. Following Jesus is about what he can do. So he he gives the parable and the crowd leaves and the disciples and a few others, the kind of the inner circle, are there with Jesus. And they're like, can you explain to us what you were talking about back there in the boat? And this is what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah 6, uh, 9 and 10. Isaiah, who was sent to God's people, and God said, they're not going to listen to you. He quotes Isaiah 6 that says they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. That word uh, in Greek is musterion. And a lot of other English translations translate it mystery. It's the Greek word that we get our word mystery from. So Jesus is saying to them, the kingdom of God is not plain and clear. And obvious. It is mysterious. It is, there, is a, there is a mystery associated with the kingdom of God. One of the, one of the uh, things I read this week said it this way, and I thought it was beautiful. It said, "Jesus' words are like the cloud that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians when they were in the desert." Exodus 14:20 says, "On the Israelite side, it was light and bright and sunshine, and on the Egyptian side, it was darkness." There is a mystery to the kingdom of God. And when Jesus speaks, Jesus' words draw out that mystery. Some will, some will see with clear, clarity. And some will not see at all and not understand. So Jesus says there's a mystery to my kingdom. And, and just hang on to that because we're going to come back to it in about three minutes. And then verse 13, he says this. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? That's actually a really amazing statement. Jesus is saying to understand all of my teaching you got to understand what I am saying in this parable. And then he goes on to explain it, and we're not, we are don't have time to run through it word for word, but, but here's what he says the explanation for the parable of the sower is. He says, look, my word is like seed. And when people hear my words, there are several reactions. When they hear, some won't even accept it at all. Satan comes and takes it away. Second group of people, when they hear, they're like, I buy it. This is good. But then when life gets hard, when things don't go their way, when they're like, hey, I'm following the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. My life should kind of go the way I hope it goes and be easy. When it gets hard, they're going to be like, nope, this is not working for me. I'm out. Third group, when they hear the word, they buy it. And they're into it. But then as they go along, they just get distracted. The, the, the new house distracts them, and the new Bentley distracts them, and the, 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 the girl or the guy distracts them, and they fall away as well. And what I want us to see in all three of those scenarios, Jesus says, when they hear, and that word hear, same one from the first part of the parable, is in Greek, it is in the aorist tense. Now, I, I, I'm watching, I know some eyes are glazing over right now. Hang with me. The aorist tense in Greek indicates a completed action, something that happened and is done. But then when Jesus gets to verse 20, he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. And right there, that version, that, that translation of here in the Greek is in the present tense. And the present tense in Greek denotes an ongoing action. It is something that is happening continually. If I was in seminary and translating this passage, I would have had to translate it as those who continually hear the word or those who repeatedly hear the word. Jesus says there are a bunch of groups who they hear the word once and it's done. But there's another group who hear the word and they listen and they hear it again and they hear it again and what does Jesus says happen? Uh, Something unbelievable. In all of Jesus' parables, or most of Jesus' parables, there is usually something shocking, right? Like think of the parable of the good Samaritan. It's not the priest, it's not the Levi, it is the Samaritan, the sworn enemy, the one that they hate, who actually helps the person who has been beaten up. And when you look at the parable of the sower, it's not obvious. Like what is the shocking thing in this passage? Well, as, as one scholar said, in ancient Palestine, a farmer could expect to maybe get a yield on average of seven or eight times the seed that he sowed because of the primitive farming methods and because of the unpredictable weather. A 10 times yield would have been like an incredible crop. And Jesus says, there are some who hear my word and they will bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. They will bear an incredible harvest a miraculous harvest because they have heard and heard and continually listened to my word what is he getting at how does a seed grow i mean i mean we know like scientifically how it works but how does it really work god makes it grow like that seed doesn't decide he's going to be the good seed and, I, and I'm this tiny little seed, and I think I'll grow to eight feet tall, and I'll, I'll look it for maybe a 10 to 15 times yield on myself. The seed has nothing to do with it. It's like, it's like a baby. Like, we know medically how the process for conception and birth works, but we don't know how it works big picture-wise. It is a miracle because God is the one who makes it happen. And that is the same in the, in the case of a seed that grows up into a plant that bears fruit. The, the miracle of this story is not that anyone can become the good soil in and of themselves. The miracle, the mystery of the kingdom is that anyone can bear fruit at all. The mystery is that anyone... Can, can exhibit any sign of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, or self-control because we don't have the power in and of ourselves to do those kind of things. They come only from God. And it is not this deal where it's like if you'll just be like the good little pig, then you can bear all kinds of fruit. We are helpless to bear fruit unless God does it for us. And he told us it would be so. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. This is what he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What is God saying there? I'm the one who does it. I'm the one who gives the growth. I'm the one who creates the harvest. I'm the one who causes you to be able to bear fruit. It is nothing that you can do in and of yourself. You do not have the power. I am the one. I am the one. It is what I can do, not what you can do. One of the greatest moments in Olympic history happened at the 1992 Summer Games in Barcelona. and I know some of you are thinking I'm going towards the dream team which was awesome, but I'm not. Uh, there was a 400-meter runner from Great Britain. His name was Derek Redmond. And in one of the semifinal heats for the 400 there that summer in Barcelona, uh, he lined up with eight or nine other runners, 400 meters is once around the track. Gun went off. He took off around the first turn, uh, looking good, feeling good, headed down the backstretch, and, and somewhere down that backstretch, he pulled up hurt. Everyone else kept running, the cameras kept going with the race, obviously, he fell to the track in agony. Uh, we know in hindsight that he had torn his hamstring. Uh, it's difficult to run when your hamstring is not connected. Uh, some, some officials came around him, you could see that he was in a ton of pain, uh, but there's something, I think it might be that, you know something about the British, uh, but he, he got up and he decided that he was gonna finish the race even though he was hurt. And so he starts hobbling down the track. It's, it's painful to watch. Uh, hobbling down the track basically using one leg. And the crowd realizes what's going on and the whole, the whole Olympic Stadium stands to their feet and they are cheering wildly. And as he comes around the back turn, uh, he begins to slow. And it becomes really uh, pretty obvious that he's gonna have a hard time making it the last 120 meters or so to the finish line. And it's about that time uh, that an older guy comes down out of the stands uh and if you if you if you like haven't had a good cry in a while and you want a good cry go look this up on youtube this afternoon uh i actually thought about showing the video in the sermon but i genuinely didn't want to play on emotions because this guy hops over the railing and the officials are trying to stop him and get in his way and he's pushing them all out of the way and he goes out and makes a beeline for derek redmond on the track and it's his dad in front of the whole world Cameras are on him, whole stadium is watching. His dad comes running out onto the track. His son is there in all kinds of agony, cannot finish his race. And he comes up to him and he puts his arm around his shoulder, he puts his big arms around his son's waist, and his son begins just weeping on his shoulder, and he carries him the rest of the way to the finish line of that 400 meter race at the Summer Olympics in 1992. And church, that is us. We are trying to run this race with hamstrings that are not connected. We do not have the power in and of ourselves to do anything good except that God does it in us and through us. What is our only hope in life and death? That we belong to God and the Savior Jesus Christ who is working in us and through us, the good sower of the seed, who through his power alone can do anything In us or through us and so what does that mean for how we approach our life what it means is that we don't approach it in the three little pigs way we don't get up every morning and we say today i am going to carpe diem i am going to go out and i am going to manifest my destiny that is a load of garbage you you cannot you cannot cause your heart to beat one more time you cannot cause your lungs to draw one more breath, to think that you can go out and make the life that you want for yourself. You, it is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, Put up, dig into your suitcase of courage, go out there and, and make what you want out of your life and be who you can be and get out there and take it. Uh, we approach life this way. We get up every morning and we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we say, I can do nothing except that you do it through me. I cannot make anything of my life. I cannot make myself be the good soil. Please make me the good soil that there might be some kind of fruit in my life. So you want to be a better parent? Just take it to God. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do it in me. You want to find joy in going to a job every day that you hate? but God has not given you a way out? God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to do it in me. You wanna get up every morning and and face a life that you are disappointed by? It is not the way you wanted it to go. It is not what you expected. This is not where you would thought you would be at this moment of your life. God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to do it through me. You wanna have courage to share your faith with your neighbor, to, to look like a wacko to your family? to ask for forgiveness from someone who you know you hurt, to have courage to step into a decision that you know God is calling you to, but you are terrified of. God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to do it in me. And you watch him do it. Because some hear the word, and they accept it, and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Following Jesus is not about what we can do. It is about what He can do. Now I can't help but think, as Jesus was teaching this parable, that he had his own uh, trajectory in mind, because most of us recognize that for a seed to grow into a plant, for a seed to bear fruit, it has to what? It has to die. And as Jesus was teaching this parable, I, I just got to believe that he knew that in not too short of a time, and not too long of a time, he was going to die. So that an incredible harvest, an incredible yield could be realized because it was through his death that the harvest of you and me being reconciled to God, ones who God once called his enemies and now calls his sons and daughters because of Jesus' death, on a cross. And as I said last week, I'm going to run it back this week. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done himself. Because the call on each one of our lives is if you have any hope that God could do something like that through your life, you first must die too. But just like the, everything we've been talking about this whole way, you can't do that in your own power. You can't do that on your own. Like, who's ever heard of a voluntary death row inmate? Do you see how that goes? Like, it's today's the day, Gary. Ah, let's wait till tomorrow. Like, you can't do it on your own. You gotta have someone there who walks you through it. And his name is Jesus. It's why Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified what? With Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Because it is not about what I can do, it is about what He can do. The parable of the sower is not about what the soil can do; it's about the power of the sower. Let's pray. God, we thank you because it takes it takes the pressure off that we are not the ones who can make anything happen in and of ourselves, but that our only hope. The only source of power in our life, the only source of true power in our life is you. And so God, if there is someone here today in the sanctuary or if there is someone watching online with every eye closed and every head bowed and they are hearing you speak to them this morning, if they are feeling like I am tired of trying to do things on my own, I am tri- tired of trying to do it in my own power, I am tired of being like Martha, busy with doing, and I know I need to be like Mary, sitting at your feet and listening, I pray that you would move in their hearts to, in your power, make that change today, God. And if there's someone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that this would be the moment, this would be the day that they would say to you, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot save myself. God, I cannot do this. I need you to do it in me. And that today might be the day of salvation. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We pray that as we go from this place, that we will know we are doing so because it is you who is working and moving in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, today is the day that you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I would love to talk to you. One of our elders would love to talk to you. If today is the day that you know you need to make some changes in the way you're walking with Jesus, I would love to talk to you. One of our elders would love to talk to you. Um, If you're new today, I'd love to talk to you outside after the service. If you're watching online and you want to get connected, connected with us uh, you can reach out to us at info at alcf.net for any of those things i just mentioned uh, and we would love to to reach out to you please stand for the benediction the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our savior comes and then forever, amen. You are loved and you are prayed for and you are sent.